Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Who enjoyed the week off of lockdown? Who actually enjoyed it? If you're honest, a few hands going up. That's cool in this busy world in which we live. And hopefully, hopefully, it gave us good quality time to spend with our family and friends, which really is a great segue into our new series called Assembly Required. Assembly Required is a new series we're starting today and it's based upon deepening our relationships. Turn to the person next to you and say, deepening, deepening our relationships. Can we just pray? Father, we just thank You that at the beginning of this series, we get an opportunity to share Your Word in and around the situation and matter of family relationships, partnership. And we just pray that you would lead, guide and direct. We pray you give us eyes to, hear, uh, eyes to see and ears to hear that we might become more and more like you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for the band. Did a brilliant job. Don't we have a great team of musicians? We really do. Vocalists, musicians, uh, magicians, magicians, musicians. Swearing the mask, it's kind of throwing me a little bit, but it is great to be with you this morning. If you are visiting for the very first time, you're our guest. We want you to sit back, relax and enjoy yourselves. We've done our best to make sure that we can get as many people in the room without uh, um, ignoring the government restrictions. And so we do have two areas today where you can get coffee straight after the service. You can get there in the cafe or at the back of the auditorium so that we can spread out and no one misses out. How's that sound? Excellent. Well, let's get straight into our series today. We are talking about deepening our relationships, assembly required. I believe with all my heart that a healthy relationship or healthy relationships are essential for a healthy life. It was God who said in the very beginning of time, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. In actual fact, one of the enemy's strategies today is to get people isolated. He wants to divide and conquer. He wants to isolate you and he wants to separate you. He wants you to do life alone. That's one of his key strategies. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 8 says this, there is no one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labour, nor his eye satisfied with riches. That tells me, and it should tell you, that those that live alone live a tired life and a dissatisfied life. You'll never ever have the energy if you do life alone to fulfil what God's called you to do. And you'll never be truly satisfied if you do life alone. People need people. Can we just let that sink in this morning? Maybe tell that to the person next to you. People need people. People need people. One of our values here at Life is that people are our priority. People are a priority. So much so that Jesus left the splendour of heaven to come and help people. He's madly and passionately in love with people and that includes you. If you don't hear anything else I say today, know this, that the God of the universe, that God who created all that is seen and unseen is madly and passionately in love with you. He's not angry. He actually loves humanity. Amen. You know, um, the Mental Health Research Organisation in the UK said this, extensive evidence shows that having good quality relationships can help us live longer and happier lives with fewer mental health problems. 
Having close, positive relationships can give us a purpose and a sense of belonging. I don't know about you. Who wants a happier, healthier life? Well, if you do want a happier, healthier life, you've got to be in good, healthy relationships. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. It goes on to say, For if they fall... No one will lift up their companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, how will they keep warm? It goes on to say that though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a three-cord strand is not easily broken. I want you to know that significant living requires relationships. And relationships require intentionality. You know, recently, I say recently, when we was on holidays in January, had a bit of time off, extended time off, and we did many things. And one of the things we did was to do up BJ's room. She wanted her bedroom to be done up. And so it involved a little bit of painting and a little bit of um, LED strips and, and all those kinds of things. But then it also required new furniture. And so we did what every good parent did when they're looking for furniture for their kids. We go to Ikea. And Ikea is known for a couple of things. One, for cheap furniture. And two, that it comes in a flat pack. And so you get enticed by the finished product in the shop. And so you say, I want that. But when you get it, it's just a box. How many of you have been like me, deceived? You think you're getting the finished product, but you actually get the box. And the interesting thing is, in that box are all the pieces. All the pieces are there, but assembly is required. It takes work to put it together. To get the finished product that we want, you've got to put in the work. You've got to put in the effort. You've got to put the pieces together. And those pieces don't just come together automatically. It takes effort. It takes time. And sometimes, if we're honest, it takes a long time. And there's always seems to be bits left over. I don't know what that's about, but... Uh, how many know what I'm talking about today? It takes time. It takes effort. The Bible says in speaking of marriage that a, that a man and woman shall come together and the two will become one flesh. And, and I like that as a thought because it talks about a becoming. You know, when you walk down the aisle, it's not like you get a finished product. And, and that's why some of you on your honeymoon have your eyes open to who it is you really married. And then some of you are like, well, I didn't know I was buying into that. And, and, and maybe the wife said that about you too, men. And, and, and so we're not alone. But it's a work in progress. Kath and I have been together for 37 years. We married 30 of those years. And uh, I want you to know that we are becoming one. We are a work in progress. There are days I, I look at my wife and think, who are you? After all these years, I'm still learning aspects and parts of her personality that I've never seen before. And she is the same with me. We are a work in progress. Are there any married people who would say, we are a work in progress? It takes time. It takes effort. But gee, it's worth it. It's so worth it. And I want to encourage you not to give up, nor to give in. Eugene Peterson says this, the Christian life is lived with others and for others. Nothing can be uh, done alone or solely for oneself. In an age of heightened individualism, it is easy to assume that the Christian life is what I am responsible for on my own. Relational depth 
brings completeness. If you want to be complete, we talk about complete, it needs a relational depth. In other words, we need to go deeper in our relationships. And what I've learned is that many people settle for wide, but they don't go deep. They're happy to have lots of friends. And in a world of social media, what we find is we, we pride ourselves on having more and more friends. And the term friend has kind of lost its meaning because we can have thousands of friends on social media, but no depth of reality. Hence why mental health is on the rise. Hence why peace and all those things that we crave, we're missing out on because you don't get peace and you don't get completeness and you don't get the things we seek for by just having a, a, a width or a breadth of friendship. You get those things to having a depth of friendship. And that's essentially what this series is all about. It's not just about having lots of friends. It's about going deeper in our friendships. Why? Because relational depth brings completeness. Are you with me this morning? And so to go deeper, we need to be connected. We need to be connected body, soul, and spirit. We did a whole series on that recently. And I said this, that whatever you neglect, you lose. And if we're going to go deeper in our relationships, we need to understand that we are a triune being. We are a three-part being. And we need to embrace all of those areas of our being. Otherwise, we're going to miss out on something. And whatever we miss out on is going to make our relationships less than God intended them to be. The body is the physical me. It's the physical you. It's where we connect physically. And, and sadly, many settle with that. They settle with the physical, the things and the experiences. That's why people just are sleeping around and changing partners. And they're wondering though they're not finding a satisfaction because it can't be found in physical things alone. Now in the confines of marriage, man, I, I thank God for the, 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 uh, the ability to be able to enjoy each other at a physical level. And it's awesome. But that alone will not bring the depth that we, is required in relationships. It needs more than that. We need, yes, the body, that's the physical me, but also we have a soul, which is the emotional me. And if we want to go deeper in our relationships, we need to connect and we need to exchange emotion. Men, listen to me. It's going to involve you being engaged emotionally with your wives, not just physically. We need to be engaged emotionally. That's right, if we engage more emotionally, maybe physically we'd be more satisfied. Just saying, just throwing it out there on a Sunday morning. Okay, are you with me? We need to engage their thoughts and their feelings. We need to engage in conversation if we want to go deeper in our relationships. But also we have a, the spirit part to us, and that's the eternal me. We, we have the physical me, the emotional me, and a spiritual, an eternal me. We've read in Ecclesiastes that a three-chord strand is not easily broken. That's speaking of having God at the center of a relationship. In every relationship, there should be you, your partner, and God. In the relationships that we have, even your friendships, it should be you, your friend, and, and God speaking into the situation. God should be at the center of those relationships. If you are a young man or woman and, and um, you are looking to date somebody, I would ask yourself this, are you equally yoked? Equally yoked is a biblical term for being on the same page in your relationship when it comes to the things of God. So it's as simple as that. See, there's a difference between a Christian household and a Christ-centered home. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but if you go into their home, it doesn't look any different than any other home you go into. But to put Christ at the center 
and say, make, help us to make the best godly decisions. When it comes to parenting, when it comes to conflict resolution, putting God at the center, not just your needs, but God at the center is going to change the way we do relationships. Now, remember, we're all a work in progress. I have not arrived, but this is what I seek to be and seek to become. That The physical part, the emotional part, the spiritual part of me would all grow. Question is, how deep is your relationship with Jesus? If you're not a follower of Christ, man, I'm so glad you're here this morning. This is an opportunity for us to talk about the God we know and love, because this is what I know. He knows and loves you. Even if you don't believe in Him, He believes in you. But for those of you who've been coming to church and been a Christian for many years, I want to ask this question. How well do you know Him and how deep is your relationship with Him? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul's prayer is that we would know Him and know Him more. Our desire should be that at the end of this year, we know Jesus more than we did at the beginning of the year. That we go deeper in our relationship with Him. How do you know whether you've gone deeper? Well, we measure it on the basis of the revelation that we have. How deep is the revelation? When's the last time you had some fresh revelation of who Jesus is and what He's done for you? When's the last time you shared a tear or, or laughed out of joy for what Jesus has done for you? It's not just about turning up to church. It's about going deeper with him. And I believe this is what God wants for us. And us, in order to go deep in our relationships, we need to have these three areas covered. Amen. And so this morning, I want to look at three barriers to relational depth. Three barriers to relational depth. And hopefully this will be helpful and set us up for the rest of this series. How does that sound? Fantastic. Number one is this. So a self-centered life is a barrier to relational death. What is a self-centered life? It's simply when you put yourself at the center. Now, no one likes to think that they are selfish. No one actually says, I'm a selfish person. But let's look at James chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Here's a question. Have you ever had a fight or a quarrel? Okay, so we're not selfish, but we have had fights and quarrels. What starts those fights and quarrels? Where does it come from? Well, James says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Don't they come from the self-centered desires? So, so maybe we are a little bit more self-centered than we give ourselves credit for. And that's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing when we are self-centered, but don't recognize it. And in order to go deeper, we must die to self. We must learn to put self to death. Instead of letting self have its way, that's the killer to all relationships when we just want to do what we want to do and be what we want to be. I was stretching this morning and I was flapping my arms. I had both arms out. I, was going like I don't know why. It was just a stretch. I was just stretching. And BJ was laughing. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm a bird. I can fly. And he's like, really? I said, no, not really. Because the reality is you can't be whatever you want to be. I know this, it's a romantic notion. You can do what you want to do and you can be what you want to be. But the reality is you can't do what you want to do and be what you want to be. That's just not the way things work. And so we have to come back to reality. And so what are some of the indicators of a self-centered life? I'm so glad you asked that. I'm going to give you three very quickly. Number one is when we have this attitude that what's in it for me? We don't like to think of ourselves as self-centered people, but when we have this attitude, what's in it for me? I remember the words of my dad, and I'll never forget it. When we were younger growing up, he'd say this, this family doesn't revolve around you. How many ever heard those words? This family doesn't revolt. And then there's like a revelation to me. Really? Are you kidding? Really? 
Because when you're a young kid, you think everything revolves around you. Because at the very beginning of time, it actually does, because they feed you and they change you and they look after you and they do everything for you. And you kind of get this notion that actually everything does revolve around me. But when we were ch children, we, we, we have, when we became men and women, we had to put aside childish ways and we have to learn that what was right for a season is no longer right for a healthy life. And so we have to put aside some of those childish ways. And one of those childish ways is this. The world doesn't revolve around me. The family doesn't revolve around me. And so when my dad said, clean your bedroom or do your jobs, it's not all about me. And the same is true for the spiritual family. It's not all about us. This family, this church doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around him. And so when we have an, what's in it for me? Attitude, it could be an indicator that we are living a self-centered life. Second thing, that we have a low personal investment in others. We are meant to live for and help others. That's the whole premise of Christianity. I'm so grateful that we have people who live for others. And if you want to know who they are, just you don't have to look any further than the car park. Those men and women that serve in the car park just bless my heart because it's not a thankful job. It's a pretty thankless task, particularly when it's really hot or really cold and wet. When we're all in here drinking coffee, enjoying one another's company, they're out there just directing cars. And mostly, the cars are trying to park, don't want to park where they want to be told. And they're just, it's just a thankless job. And I am so grateful. And I want all of those who serve on our car park team to know that I am grateful. Is there anyone in this room who is grateful for those who serve in our car park team? I mean, thank you. Thank you. What a, what a, what a selfless task it is. And I'm so grateful for that. And it's a great illustration of what I believe God wants from us when we serve, when we live for others. And uh, number three would be this. It's the resistance to relational accountability. Do you know the loud cry that I hear today? Probably more now than ever before since COVID and lockdown and everything else. It's this, the cry for freedom. We want to be free. Free to do what we want and be what we want to be. But can I just remind you of something Tim Keller said? And I love this thought. Tim Keller said this, unity requires a loss of freedom. If you want to live together in a healthy home, you've got to die to yourself and you've got to forego your freedom. If you have two individuals just living in their own freedom, there will never be unity. If you're not willing to lay down your freedom, you cannot experience unity. You cannot experience the health in a home. Both parties must be willing to say, you first. I will adjust for you. Can you imagine if married couples had this attitude? You first. I'm going to adjust for you. I'll give up my freedom for you. I will sacrifice for you. This is a game changer. When we lay down our freedom, when we sacrifice for others, when we say, no, no, let me adjust. And then our partner says, no, no, let me adjust. He says, no, no, let me adjust. No, let me adjust. I think we're going to see the healthiest relationships on the planet of the earth. And if ever we needed to see that, it's now. See, remember, when only one party is willing to give up their freedom, it leads to exploitation. When only one party says, okay, I'll give up my freedom. The other says, great. 
That means that person who just receives and doesn't give up their freedom, they're exploiting the person who's willing to give up their freedom. And that will never make for a healthy marriage. And that's what I love about Jesus. He will never, ever exploit you. And the reason I know he will never, ever exploit you is because he gave up his freedom first. Christianity in its simplest form is a relationship with God. And in order for that relationship to begin, Jesus gave up his freedom. The king of the universe, the one who sat enthroned in the heaven, left the splendor of heaven, came to planet earth as a babe in a manger, lived on the planet for some 33 years, washed disciples' feet, was mocked, abused, ridiculed, misunderstood, beaten, battered, bruised, put on a cross, died. Talk about giving up your freedom. And then he rose again on the third day. And he says, who wants a relationship with me? I'll give you life, everlasting and eternal life. And all you got to do is this, give up your freedom. And in giving up your freedom, you'll never be freer than that moment. But when you hold on to your freedom, you stay a slave to your own thoughts and your own destiny. But when you give up your freedom, you experience true freedom. You know, I'm so grateful for the things that we've been able to experience as a church during lockdown. And I'm so grateful for the way we've been able to communicate through social media and online. But to not return back to church because actually this suits me is to miss something of the essence of the gospel. The gospel is not a movement of people that says, I do things based on what's best for me. If it was about what's best for us, Jesus never would have come to planet Earth. He let go of his freedom in order that we could experience freedom. And what he asked for in return is that we give up our freedom, that we could live in true freedom. It's for freedom you've been set free. Are you with me? The message says it this way in Romans 12 verse, 10, uh, Romans 12 verse 9. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. And verse 10 says this. Be good friends who love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. What's a deep friend? What's a good friend? One who's prepared to play second fiddle. We're talking about some barriers to relational depth. And the first one is a self-centered life. The second one would be a fear-centered life. A fear-centered life. And a fear-centered life is when you put your fear at the center of your life. A self-centered life is where you put this, yourself at the center. A fear-centered life is when you put your fear at the center of your life. And what fear does, fear allows our feelings to dominate us. And that leads to a life of doubt, worry, and insecurity. Am I describing anyone here today? Please don't show me your hands, but I'm sure that we can all relate to doubts and worries and insecurities. It may manifest like this. Uh, what if it doesn't work? Have you ever found yourself saying that? What if it doesn't work? Or what if they don't like me? What if I don't get the job? And we missed out and we are dominated by all the what if it goes wrong, what if it doesn't work out moments in our life. And at that moment, we are being dominated by fear and we're living a fear-centered life. And when you live a fear-centered life, it's always going to interfere with relational depth. To go deeper, we must face our fears. See, this is what I know about fear. Fear never just leaves. Fear never just goes away. 
Fear has to always be addressed. And how do we address fear? We address it with the truth of God's Word. In Romans chapter five, 8, verse 5, it says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We have to be focused and set our mind on what God says and not what we feel. We have to set our mind on what God says and not what we're afraid of. I love Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. He's, he's known as the father of faith. And what I love about his example is that his faith was able to face the negative things that were happening in his life. Faith can face the facts. And Abraham knew that he was old and knew that in and of himself, he was beyond the age of reproducing a child. And yet the Word of God came to him and said, you shall be the father of a multitude. And he was able to face the fact that his body was as good as dead. You see, faith is not denial. Abraham was able to say that, I, I know I'm old. I know I can't do this. Yet the Bible says he did not waver through unbelief concerning the promises of God, for he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he had promised. I love that thought. He did not waver, even though things were against him. And he knew things were against him, but he was able to face the facts. And if you're facing a diagnosis that's not good, not healthy. Don't deny it. Bring it to God. Don't just try and just ignore it. Bring it to God. Bring those fears. Bring those doubts. Bring those concerns to Him. God is able to carry your fears and concerns. I think sometimes in church life and, and in Christianity, we, we learn the Christian life and the Christian ways. And, and so we learn how we should be living and because we learn how we should be living, we don't like to exa exactly acknowledge where we're actually at. And so we put on masks like we are today. We put on masks. They're pretending we're doing okay. No, I'm not worried. But here's the thing. If you are worried, God knows you're worried. And He wants you to bring those worries to Him. If you are afraid, don't put a mask on that says, I'm not afraid. No, take the masks off. And let God know that I actually am not only afraid, I'm terrified. And God said, that's okay. That's okay. But let's replace those things with the good news of what God has to say for us and about us. So maybe God is speaking to you. We've been talking a series on the whisper. Maybe God's been saying, hey, it'd be really good if you went to that person and you apologized. See, when we do something wrong, there's two apologies that need to be made. One is to God. And when we apologize to God for our sin, this is what happens. We are forgiven of our sin. But when it's involved other people, we need to apologize to them. You say, I've taken it to God, that's okay. We need to go to the people that we've hurt. And when we apologize to them, it brings healing. See, one brings forgiveness between you and God. The other brings healing between you and the person that was involved. There's two apologies that need to be made. And maybe even now as I'm speaking, you think, oh man, God's putting on your heart to actually say sorry. And you might say, but I'm afraid. What if it doesn't work? What if they don't respond well? What if they use it against me? That's a fear-centered life. And I want to say, you know what? If that's how you're feeling, I would say this. Do it afraid. Don't wait till the feelings of fear go away. Just do it afraid. Just do it afraid. Put your faith in God, not in the possible outcomes. Just do it because God has told you to do it. Not, I'll do it, but God, if I do this, they better forgive me. They better receive my apology. They may not. But that's between them and God. 
But as much as it's up to you, the Bible says, live at peace with everyone. Don't be driven by fear because it's going to hinder your relationships. If someone doesn't receive or respond well to your apologies, that's on them. But what you're going to find is you're going to have forgiveness with God and you're going to have a peace knowing you've done the best you could. And it's going to bring healing to you. Where two parties receive it, it brings healing to both parties. But if someone doesn't receive it, it's still going to bring healing to you. And it's going to allow you to sleep better at night. Is this helpful? Got one more? Got time for one more? Is that okay with the masks? Maybe just grab your mask and just pull it away. Just give a bit of fresh air. I feel terrible. I'm up here preaching without a mask and you guys are listening to me with your masks. Won't be long. And the third thing is this. The third barrier to relational depth would be a hurt-centered life. We've got a self-centered life. We've got a fear-centered life. And the third one would be a hurt-centered life. What is a hurt-centered life? A hurt-centered life is when you put your hurt at the center of your world, of all your decision-making and conversation. See, this is what I know when it comes to people. You can't get close to people without getting hurt. Would that be fair to say? And I would say this, the closer you are people, the more hurt you get. Would that be fair to say? I mean, I don't know about you, but just this week, someone kind of you know, gave me a, you know, a wave when I was driving. But it wasn't a wave, it was more of a finger wave. <laughs> because apparently I did something, I don't know what, I, to this moment, I don't know what I did, but I did something. They weren't happy with me. But do you know what? That didn't really bother me, it didn't really touch me. I don't know that guy. He said a few things, he gave me a few waves, and, but been and gone. But I have people who are far closer to me who can do far less than that, and it can really hurt. Why? Because of the closeness. You can't get close to people without getting hurt. You can't embrace this message that I'm talking about today in this series without getting hurt. You can't open yourself up to people without getting hurt. People will break your heart. We all have a, they broke my heart story. I could literally start over here from oldest to youngest and we'd have a someone or something broke my heart. Someone or something broke my heart. And that doesn't make you a bad person. That just makes you a person that's tried in a relationship. But this is what I know. If we don't address our broken heart, we will isolate ourselves. If we don't address the hurt, what we will do, we'll end up running, leaving, and withdrawing. Why? To deal with the pain. If you don't deal with the pain, you'll deal with it in your own ways. And what I know about people, the way we deal with pain is we run, we withdraw, we isolate. And we don't embrace the relationships that God intended us to embrace. And what I've learned is this, that many confuse a healed heart with a hard heart. See, I want you to know just because your heart may not be hurting right now doesn't mean it doesn't need fixing right now. See, we assume because it doesn't hurt, we're healed. Doesn't hurt, so we're healed. But that's usually because we're just avoiding the issue and not dealing with it. You know, back in 2016, I had heart surgery, open heart surgery, based upon the blood infection that I had earlier in the year. The blood infection 
attacked one of my valves in my heart. And the doctor told me after all I'd been through, and it was a painful three months with this whole blood infection. Then they said, look, um, you've got a clean bill of health with the exception of your heart has been attacked by the blood and it needs to be fixed. And I said this, I said, but it feels fine. I thought my heart was okay because I didn't have pain. He goes, if you don't fix your heart, it's going to cause you problems later in life. So, but it doesn't hurt. It's fine. He said it again. If we don't fix your heart, it'll cause you problems later in life. And I think what we do when we feel the pain, we run, we avoid, we isolate, we ignore to deal with the pain. And when you run, isolate and ignore long enough, you think, ah, I'm over that. But we're still carrying the pain as much as we ever did when it first happened. The reason we don't feel the hurt so much is because we're not being confronted with it. But I'm going to say to you what my doctor said to me, if we don't deal with the pain, if we don't deal with our heart, it'll cause us problems later in life. We've got marriages splitting up, relationships splitting up because we didn't deal with things years ago. And we have to learn to give our heart to someone else. See, with my heart, I had to open up my heart. I had to surrender my advice to the doctor's advice. And I had to open up my heart and I had to quite literally place my heart in the hands of another. And I lay on the operating table for a number of hours while they operated on my heart, causing further pain, I might add. To get healed caused me further pain. And I think sometimes that's why we choose not to get our heart healed because we don't want any more pain. But I had to embrace more pain in order to get healed. Now, most of us in this life are not going to have open heart surgery like I had to have. So what would open heart look like on the day-to-day life? Well, to me, an open heart is simply about being transparent. And transparency exposes what needs repair. It's a willingness to say, hey, if you see anything, speak into my life. How many of us have relationships that are deep enough to be transparent enough where we can say, hey, if you see something, can you speak into my life? And then if they do speak, we don't just react, run away and try and find another friend who won't hurt us like that. You know, the Bible says it this way, friends, wounds from a friend, they can be trusted. Wounds and pain from a deep relationship, they can be trusted. But the enemy, enemy multiplies kisses. All your social media friends, ah, you're doing great, you're doing fine. They don't know the situation. I'm so grateful that there was a doctor that could perform a surgery to fix my heart. Those guys aren't everywhere. Doctors like that aren't everywhere. As much as I needed fixing, I wouldn't have gone to any of you to get my heart surgery done. I love you, but I wouldn't go to you for my heart surgery. 
You need someone who can actually heal and fix the problem. And we need relationships that are deep enough. See, when we get honest, that's when we truly get free. When we get honest with our struggles, when we get honest with our pain, when we get honest with our hurts, that's when we get free. You might say, Tony, yeah, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've been facing. And to that, I'd say, yeah, absolutely right. I don't. But I do know someone who does know. I do know someone who's not only been what you've been through, but far, far worse. I know someone who's seen every one of your tears. I know someone who's seen every one of your pain and problems that you face. He's seen every one of your rejections. And not only has He seen it, He's experienced it. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to planet Earth and was tempted and tested in every way as you and I are, yet never faltered, never sinned, never backed down, never gave up, never gave in. And He offered Himself as a sinless sacrifice. He allowed His heart to be broken for our broken hearts. He allowed Himself to be rejected for every one of our rejections that we've experienced. He allowed Himself to be alone so He can identify with everyone who feels lonely. Jesus experienced isolation because He knew we would experience isolation. And if you're here today and and you've never ever made a decision to let Christ into your circumstance, to let God into your world. You've never been transparent enough to say, I need help. I need someone bigger than my present circumstance and situation. I need someone wiser than me. I need someone smarter than me. I need someone stronger than me. If you've never come to that place, I want you to know that's where life really begins. That's where healing truly starts. I wonder, could you all stand with me in this place this morning? If you've never experienced Jesus Christ in your heart and life, you've never given your life over to Him. Or maybe like the prodigal son, you've walked away from the things of God and through this message today, God's drawing you. He's stirring your heart to say, come home. You don't have to do life alone. He wants you in deep relationship with Him. As I said earlier, Christianity in its simplest, purest form is a relationship with God. It's not a list of rules and regulations of what to do and not to do. It's simply a relationship with Him. And out of that relationship with Him, as it grows, all of a sudden the things you used to want to do, they don't have the same appeal. It's called becoming like Christ. And so if you're in that place today, you're saying yes to Jesus, I would love to lead you in a prayer. If you're like that prodigal son who says, I want to come home, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'd love it if we as a church family could pray with those responding today. Are you ready to pray? Fantastic. Those online, are you ready to pray? Come on, let's pray. Jesus, I thank You for loving me. I thank You for dying for my sins. I desire to know You more. I open my heart to You. I surrender to You. Forgive me of all of my sins. Show me Your ways. Help me to live for You in Jesus' Name. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for those who've made that decision today to say yes to Jesus. If that is you, 
You said yes to Jesus. We'd love to give you a Bible. The Bible contains God's Word, His will and His ways. And when we read it, we're going to deepen our relationship with God Himself. And if you'd like to collect this Bible based upon the decision you've made, either for the first time or if someone is turning back to Christ, we'd love to get a copy of this. If you're watching online, all we got to do is click the I Said Yes button. We'll make sure you get a copy. If you're in the room, either scan the QR code or go see someone in the Here to Help stand. That'd be amazing. Come on, one more time. Let's put our hands together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.